Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And with us today is an official fan favorite, um, my good friend, Ruth Williams. Welcome, Ruth. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yay. Third timer. Third timer. That's right. Welcome to the Third Timers <laughs> Club. Yeah. The last time you were on was episode 308, and it was last summer. So we know what you did last summer. You were on this <laughs> podcast. Anyway, um, we ask returning guests, like, what have you been up to since then? Wow. Well, the first thing I thought of is the fact that when you talked to me last summer, I had not set foot in a classroom for a year oh, wow. because of the pandemic. And I also had a sabbatical. So I have since gone back to the classroom. And I think obviously the fear and the anxiety of the pandemic affected me, but I didn't have any serious effects during the pandemic. I felt really grateful for that. Like I, I didn't lose anyone close to me and I didn't, I didn't get COVID at least as far as I know. But when I went back to work for the first time, actually driving to and from work and being in an actual classroom, wearing a mask and all that, I was like, Oh, this is a different experience. Yeah. So I have, I have experienced that. And for anyone else who experienced it and thought, why does this feel so difficult suddenly? It's really not that hard. I think we all are going or were in a period of readjustment. Yeah. And it was interesting. So that is a big thing that has happened since then. But otherwise, I'm just, I'm, I'm pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Um, yeah, it's kind of been fun doing this podcast during the pandemic for lots of reasons. But one of them is like, mostly we're talking about parenthood and our lives. And I would say most of the time, it's like our lives in a way that's removed from the pandemic. It's just, you know, our childhoods and you know, things that are true about us, whether there's a pandemic or not. But like often in the background, I think in almost every episode, there's like a reference to it, you know? And so in, in a interesting way, it's like a time capsule of, yeah. of this. Yeah. Really like that. That's an interesting thought. Cause I, I listen to quite a few podcasts. I'm a real podcast fiend. I listen to them when I run and I feel like every podcast always like has had their own approach you know, yeah. and like some people came up, I can't remember which podcast it is, but they always call it the pandemic. <laughs> oh, maybe it's couples therapy with um, Naomi. I don't know her last name, but she's a comedian and her husband, who I think is also a comedian. And so they always call it the pandemic. <laughs> and, and it's just like, yeah, it's like a way of normalizing this weird full scale disaster <laughs> into something that you can kind of quippily toss off, but that it also represents like all these changes in your life, you know, totally uh, in one little word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I like that. Oh, totally. Well, today we're discussing Parenthood Season 5, Episode 4, In Dreams Begin Responsibilities. It was written by Gina Fattori, directed by Patrick Norris. It originally aired on October 17th, 2013. And here is a TV Guide synopsis. Christina's campaign challenges Adam's comfort zone. Sarah and Amber have trouble talking to each other about the wedding. Drew tries to get closer to Natalie. Zeke has an opportunity for a teaching moment with his grandkids. And Crosby handles a demanding rock star. The title of this episode is drawn from a collection of poetry by hmm. William Butler Yeats, first published in 1914, called Responsibilities and Other Poems. It was actually first published under the title Responsibilities and a Play. Huh. But the version that has sort of lived on is Responsibilities and Other Poems. And that collection contains an epigraph, which he attributes to an old play, and it reads, in dreams begin responsibility. Hmm. 
that was also the inspiration for a famous short story by Delmore Schwartz called In Dreams Begin Responsibilities, published in 1937 in the first issue of the Partisan Review. And that story is about a young man who dreams that he is in a theater watching a movie of the courtship of his parents. Oh, cool. Hmm. And I like it's that. often cited by lots of prominent authors and critics as like one of the best American short stories ever. I should I'm read that. Eager to go find it. Yeah. But anyway, so I have a couple of notes about this episode. That was all about the title. Wait, I've got one about the title. That's also the title of an episode of my so-called life. That's all I know. Oh, I (laughs) didn't find that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, you had um, deeper contributions. That's fascinating that like Yates, I was like, Ruth, did you know that we're both poets? Uh -uh. I didn't know that either. Yeah. This was the first episode of Parenthood written by Gina Fattori, who has worked on lots of other series, including Gilmore Girls Mm. and Dawson's Creek. Well, be still my heart. Um. And in fact, Melissa, (laughs) she wrote the episode True Love, which spawned the infamous internet meme of Dawson Leary sobbing. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I'm Team Pacey, and I'm sure that didn't help. So <laughs> I just didn't put Dawson in. You know, uh, whatever. This is also the first episode with Tyson Ritter as Oliver Rome. Tyson Ritter is the lead singer of the All American Rejects, and he's from Stillwater, Oklahoma where me and both of my sisters were all born. Wow. You and Tyson. How about that? You know, I kept thinking this whole time, I mean, I really remember Oliver Rome, that character, and I remember really enjoying him. And so far, that is proving to be true. But I think it would be funnier if it was the All-American Rejects and not this fictional band, Ashes of Rome. And I think it'd be funny if he was just playing like an asshole version of himself, um, <laughs> which happens sometimes. Like I don't even watch like Entourage. Like Matt on episodes. Yeah. Or like I know Seth Green did that on Entourage, which I didn't even watch. But like if I, I've watched clips of that because it's really funny and just like playing Seth Green, but as a dick, like it's funny. Or James Vanderbeek. Right. On Don't Trust the Bee. And yeah. 23, yeah. I think that would be funny if it was just like, God. Tyson Ritter, I- join that esteemed company. Yes. So, anyway. Well, this episode begins with Amber showing Sarah the site of her wedding. And we're clearly supposed to be dubious about this location. But to me, it looked like a perfectly lovely spot. What yeah. did you guys think? I thought it looked pretty good. <laughs> I was distracted by one detail in the scene. I was imagining myself really locking lips with like a, a, a beloved in front of my mom, like <laughs> yes. really going for it in a very sexual way. And yeah. I was like, I do not think that that is very realistic. Now, Sarah is a kind of cool mom, right? <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's a different situation, but I was like, why, what, what are you, why are you making out so hardcore in front of your mom? Yeah. I wrote a similar note. I just wrote (laughs) Amber and Ryan make out in front of people a lot. That's what I wrote. And he like refers to Sarah while almost still in Amber's mouth. He's like, I don't think your mom likes it. (laughs) And he hasn't even separated. So it's not like, oh, they just 
you know, were transported by their love. Like, no, he was uh, totally aware of what was going on. Yeah, I was not dubious about the location, but I, this is going to sound terrible, but I think when people make out in front of people that often, I don't tend to take their love very seriously. And that's a terrible thing to say. Anyway. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I think sometimes, I don't know. And it might be my problem, you know, like maybe there's, there's something I should unpack there. But I feel like when people are just it's like shows to me like a lack of self-awareness or something, or like if you're that wrapped up in each other that you have to make out every second, even when you're showing your mother the place where you want to get married, I'm just like, is this all it is, is passion and hormones? <laughs> like, is this actually a rational decision? Because you're not really behaving rationally. <laughs> and so that might be a super judgy comment. I, what, do you, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like, do you feel like you have a similar thing or am I all alone out here? That's fine. If I am. I definitely think this show is trying to emphasize that very thing about their relationship, that it's like very hot and heavy, but that that is actually obscuring a lot of other things. Mm. And so they're just constantly going at it. <laughs> or like about to, or getting interrupted by Drew. And like, yeah. every time I, every time you see them, minus the one conversation that they had about his dad yeah. or his family, yeah. I was like, they're just constantly making out and like sex is in the air. And I thought, yeah, I think it's exactly what you said, Melissa. Like it's suggesting that they might not actually have the real foundation that they need to really make a go of a marriage. They certainly have attraction for yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking when you were talking of this kind of random factoid and I don't know where I got it. So, you know, grain of salt, but <laughs> I seem to recall at some point, like a study came out about people who posted a lot about their relationships on Facebook were actually more unhappy than people who didn't. I buy that. <laughs> yeah. Suggesting like there was something about presenting the false front of mm -hmm. like happiness that was actually an indicator of unhappiness. And maybe I, like you said, Melissa, that I, I too was like, oh, well, that puts all those posts that I find annoying in context. <laughs> yeah, it does. It feels a little like, what do you have to prove? Yeah, like if you're actually happy, maybe you'd just be hanging out with each other and not posting about how happy. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. I felt the same, which was honestly why I asked you to explain a little bit. <laughs> okay. Because right. I inherently was like, yeah, me too. But I have no idea why. Yeah. But I, I yeah, I think on some gut level, it's what you both said. Yeah. Just like, mm, you're trying too hard. And I'm not talking about any PDA. Right. No. It's, it has to be like of a certain level where it does start <laughs> to feel like, is this for you or is this for us? Yeah. <laughs> Like my grandparents, my dad's parents, they were very lovey-dovey even when, you know, I knew them in their later years. And I remember once hearing my grandma like sneak up behind my grandpa and she sort of like poked him or hugged him and she said, hey, sexy. Oh, wow. She's <laughs> a pastor's wife. And like they were had very sort of seemingly chaste demeanor around each other. But that I thought was just adorable because I was like, they genuinely just get a kick out of each other. And yeah. that's beautiful. And it was clearly for them. It was for each other. Yeah. It wasn't like, hey, family, look, we're still in love. Yeah. No, they didn't need to convince anybody. <laughs> we, also, we all believed that. I also think when it crosses over into making other people uncomfortable, 
then I think it's sort of thoughtless, you know, and I get that Amber, yeah, yeah, I I get that like Amber and Ryan are young, but I don't know. I think like if you're holding hands with your partner, that, that almost never makes somebody feel uncomfortable or like a quick kiss, you know, um, especially if you're about to part, you know, I'm like, why are you making out? You're all just hanging out together. (laughs) Like, it's not like one of you is leaving. And so I think, I think that's it too. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with like hot and heavy, that level of intensity, if you're not like making somebody's mother feel really out of place and uncomfortable. And I'm like, also, if you're wanting to win her over to your side. Yeah. So I was struck by the the exact same thing that you guys were. So I wondered too, if Sarah just thought it was the lake that was, you know, or, or if that's just like, you know, the symbol of all the things that's, you know, actually making her uncomfortable. I don't know. One more frivolous thing. Sarah mentions grandma Blanche. Oh, yeah. Which I loved that she brought her up, that we aren't just forgetting about this family matriarch after the one episode she appeared in. But but I thought, considering that Blanche wasn't at her grandson's wedding, Crosby, when he got married, (laughs) I can't imagine she'll be at her great-granddaughter's. Yeah, good call. Probably not. So, That's funny. I will say, though... The I, I probably would not have ever wanted to get married any place where I would have had to hire porta potties. So I was on Sarah's <laughs> side there. Where I'm like, if those have like when she was like showing her, you know, the backyard and she's like, the bathrooms are here and it's free and it's, you know, freaking fairyland. I was like, that's just what I would do, I think. But <laughs> because I'm not bringing out porta potties, but it was a lovely spot. I think that if you could just be like, everyone hold it, we'll make the ceremony 20 minutes, <laughs> then cool. <laughs> well, what did you two think of the first sign of conflict between Sarah and Amber? So none of his family is coming? Uh, I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was just looking forward to meeting. I just, I don't feel like I know him that well. I haven't well, met so them I either. To I don't of... know. He's not close with them. You know, I think there's some complicated issues mm. there. And I think it's probably not the healthiest relationship. And I think he just wants to move away from that. Are I'm, you curious? To be honest, it's kind of a sensitive subject with him. And I mm. just don't really want to push it. And I don't know. I trust him. You know, I'm sure right. he will share with me the right things. And... Not everybody's that close to their family, and I think it's it makes sense, you know, that if you don't have a good thing with them, you wouldn't want them there. Right, or it would be an opportunity to... Anyway, um, this is not I hear therapy you. I understand. Okay, got it. Thank you. <laughs> Duly noted your, your attitude about this whole thing. Well, a wedding brings these questions up, doesn't it? <laughs> Apparently. Would you view someone not having any of their family at their wedding as a red flag? Probably. I would want to know more at the very least, because there could be a really reasonable reason certain events that have happened or trauma and, you know, That's bad, true. just bad stuff. Because I do believe there, there are people that need to be estranged from their parents or their family. But the fact that she's Amber is kind of indicating that she's a little bit nervous. It seems like a little nervous about asking because mm-hmm. she thinks it's a sensitive subject, but he's never directly said that sort of adds into my aligning with Sarah. <laughs> right. But then again, I'm like more Sarah's age than Amber's age, but it's like, Oh, you feel uncomfortable even asking. And that means that maybe there's a dynamic between you two that maybe needs to be explored before marriage. Even if it's, it's like independent from the family stuff. It's yeah. about, Ryan being easily triggered or sensitive in a way that could be 
explosive, right? Yeah. Which we know from season four is the case. Yeah. And so it's just a little example, but yeah, I wouldn't automatically think it's a red flag, but it would only, it would be premised on the person I was with telling me more about why. Yeah. That is a better answer than my probably, because as you continue to talk, I thought, yeah, definitely. There are, there are times when it makes sense for someone to make a break from their family. And I also think that Sarah and Amber might be simplifying things a little as well. Like when Sarah says, but this could be a good opportunity for you know him to reconcile with family. I thought, no, I think a wedding's actually a pretty bad time to yeah. do that because it should be focused on, you know, not, wedding already has a clear purpose. Right. And that's not it. Right. That's just going to insert a lot of drama. And I also thought that, you know, when Amber broaches it with him by being like, oh, you know, I have a really bad relationship with my dad, but of course he'll be at the wedding. I thought, I don't know that he necessarily should be. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying don't invite Seth in this particular, you know, situation, but I thought, it might be a little too simplistic the other way to just be like, well, they're family, so of course they'll be there. I think that can be toxic in its own way as well. But I do think in Ryan's exact situation, I, I would definitely find this to be a red flag where no one's coming. And like you said, she can't even feel really like she can ask him why. Like, that's, that's not good, I don't think. Yeah. I thought she did raise a good point that not everyone is tight with their families. And that doesn't necessarily spell huge trouble because especially on this show where we, it's all Bravermans <laughs> all the time and the Bravermans are an unusually tight, close family. Yeah. Just for one character to say, not everyone is like this and yeah. that doesn't mean their lives are empty. Yeah. I thought that's a good point. And, and I did jokingly think, you know, if Ryan's going to be a Braverman, he's almost not allowed to have a family. Yeah. His own. I mean, Joel you know, doesn't. Christina like, doesn't. You know, check your family at the door, buddy. You're going to leave them behind. But I would take it. I mean, as some, I am close and get along well with my family. I would be really curious. Definitely. I just feel like that's the that's kind of like the bedrock of your character it's like the soil from which you sprang yeah and if there's something unhealthy in that soil maybe you've developed some concerning perspectives or behaviors from that and i would want to know about that yeah like sarah says i think a wedding brings these questions up I really liked Amber's apparently okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so to me, the red flag of this episode really hit in the conversation that Amber then had with Ryan. My dad is like really not the best. He's like kind of the worst. I don't even really like him as a person, mm -hmm. but you know, he's my dad and he's a big part of me. And you know, it's important to me that he's there on the biggest day of my life, you know? That's great, I'm happy. That's great. I look forward to meeting him. Okay. I guess what I'm saying is that... I know what it, you're saying. Okay, well, <clears throat> it feels important to me that, you know, your family knows me and that I know them, and it and feels I'm gonna, weird. I'm going to introduce you to them at some point. I just think our wedding is supposed to be the happiest day of our lives. And if, if my stepdad comes to that, it's not going to be. So they're not coming. Okay, well, does that mean that, that your mom can't come then because of him? And yeah, probably. Okay, well... Well, what about your, your real dad? I mean... I told you, he's not around. 
okay, well, do you want to at least, you know, let him know that you're getting married? No, he's and like, he's dead. He's not, he's not. Honey, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I bet that was really awful for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm sure it was really awful for me, but I'm. Look, all that stuff is in the past. And, and let's just leave it there. Let's just move forward with our future. I've never been happier ever. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I love you. We're getting married. We're getting married. <laughs> I mean, I like gasped. And I know this is my third time watching the show, but I guess I'd forgotten that his dad was dead. And like, that's how he tells her. She so doesn't even know that that he's just said he's not around. And I thought, oh my God, if you can't have just conversations with the person you're going to marry about like just facts of your life. And then I thought, well, maybe this is unfair. I mean, I, my dad died such a long time ago that I'm able to like say it very matter of factly without, you know, it bringing up like, it's not like I say it and then I cry or something, you know what I, so, so who knows what the situation is, but it really just, I felt like I'd been slapped or something. I don't know. I felt very startled by that. And and for some reason, it just gave me a terrible feeling. In one way, I want to believe him. Mm -hmm. It's so romantic to think like, this is the best day of our lives. And even though I'm old enough to understand like weddings are actually very stressful from what I hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, it's a performance of sorts, you know, and sometimes it seems that like the benefit less of the married couple and more of the people that attend. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, there's there's this conversation which we'll come back to at the end of the episode about like whether your past follows you. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great to think that like the past is the past, right? That cliche, it exists for a reason because people desire the past to stay in the past. And maybe sometimes you can, but the fact that he didn't tell her that means that the past is such a hot button, so sensitive mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And it goes back to what we just said about the first scene, the first uh, uh, scene. Yeah. Something seems like it can't be talked about. Yeah. And like, he probably is traumatized about various things in his past, but like the fact that it has to be like so tiptoed around and that he doesn't talk about it does seem like a red flag. Yeah. But then he sweeps her up, you know, which he seems to do, whether it's like the sexual vibes or in this case, it's like this romantic idea of like, come on, like why focus on these bad things? Let's focus on their happiness, you know, which generally I'd be like, yeah, why, why focus on bad things? But here it's like, the fact that you don't want to even, you didn't even discuss it. Yeah. And now you don't definitely, it's clear you don't want to, Yeah. you know, it's, that's, that's the red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And some of what he said, I thought actually did make sense. You know, when he said like, I want this to be a happy day. And if my stepdad comes, it won't be. I yeah. thought that is yeah. fair. Yeah. It actually reminded me not to go too personal in other people's business, but my sisters got married summers after each other. And my dad didn't go to either of their weddings because he was sort of newly in a relationship with the woman who he's now married to. But at the time, the invitation was sort of contingent upon them being a package deal. And it just wasn't the right time for that element to be introduced yeah. into our family situation and in my sister's the happiest days of their lives. Yeah, And so they had to make that decision. I think if they were getting married now, 
everyone would just be invited and it probably wouldn't be an issue. But at the time it was not that way. Yeah. And so hearing that, I thought, yeah, sometimes that happens and you have to make a decision like that. But (laughs) yeah, how do you date for almost a year and not mention, oh, by the way, one of my parents is dead. Yeah. Also, there were some other, like, this was a tiny thing, but that he kind of swept the conversation Mm -hmm. under the rug at the end by saying, we're getting married. Mm -hmm. And she repeated it. And I thought, yes, and getting married just solves all of these (laughs) lingering worries. Yeah. When in fact, it doesn't do anything like that. No. And then once you are in this mindset, like looking for red flags, I almost feel like the most innocuous statements, like when he says, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. In lots of contexts, that would be really sweet. But coming from someone who I'm now thinking like, what has his life been like? Yeah. I think, Amber, you can't bear the weight of being the best thing that ever happened to him. That's not fair. I felt the same way about that very line. It's such a strange thing to say because obviously the person you marry is supposed to be incredibly important to you. Maybe may the best thing that ever happened to you or the, the best, the, you know, the person you're closest to. But this isn't the first time he's spoken to her in a way that makes it sound like everything that came before you doesn't even matter now. It's only about you. And I'm like, well, that's, yeah. but that's different. That's not good. You can't, and you can't leave the past in the past. I mean, not entirely, you know, it, it not, not like a flip of a switch or something. It, it's just, and you can't replace your terrible childhood with a, with a happy marriage. You, you have to process these things and work through them. And that's how you leave the past in the past. You don't do it by being like, we mustn't ever talk about it. Let's just get married. That's not how you're yeah. going to yeah, move on. So it's interesting because I, I was watching the first episode of this season with my friend Tessa I just visited her in Maine and it turns out she was a fan of oh, the cool. show. And I told her I was going to be on this podcast and I was like, well, I'd like to watch the first few episodes of the season before my episode. And I believe she made a comment. I hope I'm not misremembering this, but she made a comment when he proposes to Amber. He, she said, oh yeah, he's seeking stability. Mm. Kind of in the context of like his military service. And I suddenly remembered like how many people in the military like get married young. Yeah. I mean, it's not everybody but like that this happens more commonly for people in the military that they hmm. that they would get married and I was like oh now part of it might be because of issues of like deployment and stuff like that it like creates instability and like a need for security because it disrupts your life and there might be dangers involved yeah. and you know clearly he alluded to the fact that he's like in some kind of secret operation which must be dangerous but I, I thought Oh, there might be also people, especially in this day and age, like some people go into the military because they're families, but in this day and age, a lot of people go in because they're seeking the opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise get, whether that's like financial or educational, or they don't have other good options. Yeah. So it's a come, I think become a little bit of a, a sort of shoot for people that might not have had that stability, yeah. like that sort of middle, upper middle-class stability that I benefited from in their lives since they make that decision. And I, I thought, huh. Now what we're talking about in this episode connects back to what she said. I'm like, yeah, there's more hints here that, yeah, that was correct. Yeah. And that he might be seeking out marriage with Amber because he's kind of grasping at 
this thing that's presented itself as the best thing in his life and he's going to go for it, you know? Yeah. And that's so tricky because Ryan seems like a good person. I don't think any of us are doubting that. And especially if he's a good person in spite of a very unstable life, that's admirable. And I think seeking out solid relationships that will help him stabilize his life is actually a great thing. It's just, it's like all in the execution, I guess. And, (laughs) and how you, cause Amber might be a wonderful force for good in his life. And then you also have to factor in at what cost to her. Mm. If it is going to cost her, her autonomy and her well-being, then I think she has every right to tap out and say, (laughs) I don't want to be responsible for all of that. If it's something she's able to do and not lose herself, then win-win. I think that's probably what everyone is hoping for. Yeah. That's, That's so hard. Yeah, and I don't think any of our concerns negate the fact that I I do think they really love each other, but there are just so many different kinds of love and ways to love. And I think what we were talking about earlier with the like PDA, you know, this kind of love that they have, it just doesn't really strike me as the like lasting fifty years <laughs> until you die love. You know, it feels very hot and and like like a candle burning and it will blow out or something you know it just it feels like so intense we keep using that word for them and and I don't know I just don't know if it can sustain itself if what they have is passion and making out and what they don't have is real conversations about their lives and so I think that's why I'm concerned this of course all boils over in that last scene between Sarah and Amber. I talked to Ryan um, about his family, mm. and he's... They're definitely not coming, so... Aww. I don't know. It's very stressful, his past, and he just kind of wants to build a new life with me, and... If only it were that easy. I mean, your past is what makes you who you are. It's what you bring to a marriage, you know? If only we could leave the past behind us, right? Yeah. What? I just don't, I just, look, I've been where you are in terms of being young and being hopeful. Here we go, here we go. This is the part that I knew was gonna come. The part where yeah, I Yeah, that you acted you that like I've my marriage ex- is the same as yours. No, 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 I've had experiences that I'm trying to help But you, you. act as if you can what even possibly relate to my situation. I can relate to your no, situation. You can't. I can relate directly to your situation. You because can't. I married someone when there were lots of warning signs, and that's all Are I'm saying. Are you saying there's a lot of warning signs with Ryan? You said that there's a lot of warning signs. He's not like dad, you know, he's different and he's very dependable and he's solid dependable. and he wants this. Amber, I mean, He's beaten people up. He crashed your car. You came to me last year when you broke up to say that you you were afraid you'd be How, his caretaker. This is what you saving of, up this whole time. I'm saving this it is up. What... I'm just saying, open your eyes and, and, and be clear on what you're doing. I don't want you to make the mistakes I made. You think that my situation is going to be like yours and dad's, and it's just not at all. It's completely different, and it's frustrating to me that you think that it would ever be similar because I'm not you. And Ryan's not dad. I'm going to go, okay? I'm going to get married at the lake. 
I decided already, okay? So I hope that you come. I hope that you like it. I liked that this was a fight they've had before, almost exactly the same. Because even though Sarah navigated through that first conflict, I don't think anything actually changed Mm -hmm. about how either of them feel. Yeah. And Sarah, understandably, is not able to just turn her concern off like a faucet. And I like I agree and disagree with both of them. Mm-hmm. I think Amber is right that she and Ryan are not Sarah and Seth and that they need to be considered on their own terms. But she also sounds incredibly young yes. and wide eyed. And mm-hmm. I mean, especially at the end where she said, I'm going to get married at the lake. Like I the decided. Way she delivered it. <laughs> yeah. She really I decided already. Yeah. yeah. It's like she sounded like a toddler. And uh And then as far as Sarah, of course, I understand why she's concerned. And yet watching this from the outside without the passion of the moment, I wished that she had asked Amber more questions Mm. and delved more into how Amber felt about Ryan's family situation rather than like, let me impart my wisdom that I know for sure. Because no one is going to agree with you after you've humiliated them. Yeah. And telling someone they're blindly making the same mistakes you did, even if you're right, and I think Sarah mostly is, Amber, I think, felt humiliated. It's sort of like therapy. I think the best you can do is sort of guide their thinking. Yeah. So when she says, I talked to him about the family thing, no one's coming, say, oh, how do you feel about that? Does that worry you? Or Because like, I feel like that's what happened the first time. Sarah just asked the question. If it was planned or spontaneous, the proposal. And then Amber asked the question. Mm-hmm. And while I feel kind of bad, like, oh, Sarah's just playing Amber like a fiddle. I don't think that's what she's trying to do. And I don't think it would have stuck in Amber's mind if she didn't want to know the answer too. Yeah. And I don't think Amber is not so naive that she would miss all of these signs. I think she might just need someone to say, do you think you should look at that a little more closely? And then Amber will sit with that. And I think the answer she would arrive at is, yes, I think I should. Anyway, what did you think? I felt sympathetic to Sarah. I I wrote in my notes, was Sarah right to try to talk with Amber? (laughs) And I, I decided, yes, she didn't really go about it the right way. I think it was so obvious that she's trying to convince her to have the wedding at the house, but that that was just a cover for basically or symbolic of kind of her, her doubt. And I think Amber either consciously or unconsciously picked up on that. And she was just like, no, I don't want to do what you want me to do mom. And that extends to like her relationship. So I feel like for me, ultimately I decided she was right to try. It just, it probably wasn't going to work. You know, but at the same time, there's another part of me that thinks, well, then she did damage to the relationship and she made it known that she questions Ryan. And now Amber might be like hesitant to bring any concerns to her because she knows that she disapproves of Ryan. So I wasn't sure with the cost benefit analysis, like really where I sat, I sided on that, but I could totally empathize with Sarah, like seeing Amber possibly make a bad decision and wanting to say, no, don't do that, please, no. But I also thought Amber was right to be like, I'm not you. And then when she said that to her mom, I was like, oh, wow, that's really harsh. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Like, I'm not you. I won't be you. Yeah. Like, I'm smarter than you, mom. I won't make the same mistakes. So it 
it was a, it was an intense conversation yeah. and I couldn't decide at the end of the day, how I would answer my question. I guess, I, I guess for now I'm saying, yes, I think Sarah, if she hadn't to talk to Amber, she would have regretted that. Mm-hmm. So she tried, she, she, I think Caleb, you're right. She should have gone about it a different way yeah. by asking questions. I think that's a really great idea. I hadn't thought of that, but it could be a solution to the problem to talk to her, but do it in a way that allows her to like express herself as opposed to feeling judged from the get-go which is like yeah hey there's this awesome space at your grandparents house why don't you use it (laughs) (laughs) I have so many thoughts I think in some ways I do think that yeah I agree that that's a good idea about asking questions except that's kind of what she's been doing already like was it planned or was it spontaneous and then earlier you know like what about his family why won't they be there and you know oh weddings bring up these questions right and so I feel like and Amber was seen through that right so yeah yeah so I think that that is good advice almost always I think it's better to listen more I, I need to do that sometimes actually sometimes I'm a little too quick to give advice like I know everything I don't but So that's the only thing that makes me think that that might not have, you know, I think this was all going to come to a head at some point. And Ruth, I was really interested in what you said about like doing damage to the relationship. And I think that's both true. I think that is the risk with saying something that, you know, someone isn't going to want to hear. I think that's a very tricky thing, but also they are so very close. I, I think it's important for Sarah to just remember, okay, this sucks. Now we're like in a terrible place, but they have such a deep foundation that I really can't imagine that they'll just never get past it. You know, like, I think this might be one of the hardest fights they've ever had. (laughs) Sorry, a little cat there. I know, yeah, my cat has come along. My cat, Mina, is uh, attending to our conversation. This ethical dilemmas are interesting to her, evidently. She's like, what would you do? I don't know. I bet she has the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I, th- I mean, I think they'll be okay. And I think that, yeah, she couldn't like, if she didn't say anything and then Amber and Ryan just like get married, I, I don't think she could live with that, you know? And, and so I think ultimately she was going to have to say something at some point. And that's why I think this is honestly one of my favorite storylines I think on the entire series, it, hmm. I, I don't know why I like it so much, except, well, it's about two of my favorite actors on the show and I think they're both killing it. And I think that it's really nuanced in there, you know, and it brings up the past. And I thought, oh, it's kind of lovely that Ruth is on this one because the last one you were on, Amber was the one being really smart and mature in a way that Sarah wasn't, you know, that was the one where she kind of talked to her dad about staying away yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting. That I mean, Amber is really smart. I think she agrees with her mom and doesn't want to. You know, I think on some level, yeah. I think she has the same concerns and just can't. You know, I, th- I think she's like, but I love him and I want to be with him. So she can't be as clear headed about it and as impartial as her mom. But she's not an idiot. She's not some just totally naive girl. She's acting like it, but I think deep down she's concerned too. It's why what her mom says resonates. And then she talks to Ryan about it. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the last episode that Ruth was on because while we were listening to that clip, when Sarah says, 
if only we could leave the past in the past. My mind went immediately to when she was dating Mark yeah. and Seth was in rehab yeah. and she was revisiting the most significant relationship of her past and asking Mark to respect that, which he did. And I thought that was that inaction that, mm-hmm. you know, she couldn't leave the past in the past. I suppose she could have if she just were to entirely wash her hands of the situation. But, you know, broadly speaking, she can't, she certainly can't pretend that she was never married to Right, Sam. right. And she can't ignore the fact that that has shaped her forever. It's It's left an indelible mark on her. So I think she's right when she says that's what you bring to a marriage yeah. is your past. And then I also like that you said Amber was the wise one. I sort of appreciated Amber's naivete in this episode because I feel like it's easy to forget that she's like 20, 21 because the show often, so often portrays her as so mature and wise beyond her years. I thought, but but who's actually like this? I mean, she is still a very young adult. And so I liked just being reminded that, yeah, this is the way a 20 or 21 year old might behave about getting married even if they are wise beyond their years. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's hard to sometimes remember that she's young. I actually had that exact thought while I was watching these episodes. I was like, oh yeah, she's she's really young. And maybe the thought occurred to me because she's acting really young, like being caught <laughs> up in this moment and yeah. not thinking about consequences. And then also seemingly like she knows something's wrong, but she is being annoyed by her mom's insistence that something's wrong. So she rejects yes. pursuing it yeah. sometimes because it annoys her that her mom might be right, which seems kind of like something you do when you're young. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's hard otherwise to remember that she's so young because she often does seem so mature. She's such a good actor though. Like, it, yeah. my God, like- in that scene, when she's like, here we go, here we go. Like, the way she said that, I found masterful. <laughs> like, it was obvious that she was so frustrated, and you could see her frustration. And we're usually in Sarah's point of view, I think, more than we're in Amber's. So we hadn't actually really watched her get all that frustrated. Like, we hadn't really seen her sitting around waiting for her mom to bring this stuff up. But... You just heard it in her voice there. I don't know. It was really yeah. good. It wasn't exactly yelling. It was like obvious restraint. Like I could yell any second. It was so good. And just this conversation is reminding me of Damien, of all people. Oh, yeah. Do you remember and Damien, when, Ruth? That was like season one, her I mean, boyfriend. He's in, the, <laughs> he's in the pilot. And then he comes back at some point in season one. And Amber saying, you know, I love him. <laughs> and and just to think, like, that was four years ago. Yeah. That oh, is not that, not long, that ago. long ago. And yes, that is definitely less mature than she is now. She has done some honest to goodness growing up in that time. But she's not superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things take time. And this is just, in a way, a more adult version of that. And ironically, when Sarah was like giving her opinion on Damien, yeah. like 
Amber was like doubling down on Damien. And when Sarah was like, okay, fine, I've decided to trust you. I'm going to let you make your own decisions. Then Amber goes on a date with Damien, decides he's an idiot, breaks up with him that same day and comes home and is like, they had nothing to do with you. But it did. And I believe it's that same fight that prompts Sarah to say, why do you insist on making every mistake I made? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's just, just, I mean, this is, they've been here before. They have been here before. Um, but this yeah. time... I think then it was probably easy for Sarah to recognize it as pretty typical teenager stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was really all that concerned that Amber was going to marry Damien. No. She may have been concerned like, uh, Amber, do not get pregnant with Damien's child. <laughs> then you will be tied to him forever. But and so, and now hear this with Ryan, I think it certainly feels more adult because it is more adult which I think brings its own concerns. It would be really hard to watch someone in your family marry someone you didn't, you know, you, you'd like that would yeah. be such a hard thing to not say something. So, yeah. Well, let's veer to another young love, <laughs> Drew at college with Natalie. So here we find out that Natalie likes this obscure singer that no one else <laughs> in the world likes <laughs> named Joni Mitchell. <laughs> I think music, it's like, like, um, it's like that one thing that lets you know if you're compatible with somebody, you know? Like, if you can't share music with somebody, forget it. It It's over, like, cut your losses. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this is my, like, I need to have a good cry song. Great. Okay, it's a little bit old, it's a little bit different, but if you know this, we're officially soulmates, all right? Anything? Wait, yeah. Um, ah, magic had to end somewhere. It's a. This is Joni Mitchell, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love Joni Mitchell. God, people think I'm so weird for liking her, for but jo- this song, no. I mean, like, it yeah, I mean, speaks to me. I, her voice, like, it's so haunting, Joni. right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, haunting. That's a good. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met anybody who likes this song, like, let alone even knows this song. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have. Well, you know this seals the deal, right? There's no fighting fate. Drew Holt, you are officially my best college friend. Who judges you for liking Joni Mitchell, Natalie? <laughs> it's not weird. If anything, it's a little cliched, but whatever. Yeah, I was like, why do they pick Joni Mitchell? Yeah. Like, who doesn't? I guess maybe some people these days don't know Joni Mitchell, but... Like my the fact students that she likes, don't know that. Yeah, Joni maybe Mitchell. kids. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. And they are freshmen in college, so they're teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little, a little <laughs> questionable, but the, premi- the premise uh-huh. was was good, which yeah. was like when you're that age, your likes and your dislikes yes. are really like indicative of you. And so, at least as a '90s kid, I remember being very tied up and like liking the right kind of music. Mm-hmm. And so when she says something about how like music is a test of compatibility, I thought of all the like mixed tapes at the time, it would have been cassette tapes. And then it would have been mixed CDs thereafter that I made and people made for me. And there was both the need to communicate the emotion, but also the need to like not accidentally include a song that would be considered uncool or something like that. Like I didn't listen to pop music until... Uh, I went to teach English in Korea 
and I listened to K-pop that while I was there. And then when I came back, I was like, oh, top 40 is actually really fun. Yeah. For what it is, you know, it's just fun. But it took me that long to really let go of that idea of like your musical tastes are really indicative of your values. And if you like something that's kind of dumb or easy or simplistic or just catchy, you're kind of silly. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, I thought I found this to be very funny and relatable scene. I was actually really glad watching this episode. I'd forgotten that this happened in the one we'd asked you on for, but I was really glad because you and I have had conversations about this sort of thing. (laughs) And I thought, oh, Ruth will have really good thoughts about that. And I I loved everything you just said. I have so many thoughts. One of them, quick, is that I just realized you two have both made me mix CDs, which is really fun. Uh, <laughs> Ruth made me I one. Have? For my, you have. Uh, Ruth made me one much more recently because it was for my 40th birthday, and it yeah, meant I wanted so to go old to school me. for your 40th. It was yeah, perfect. I was like. I I knew I was like, well, this is a little weird to do at this point in the world, but. I thought I felt like you would enjoy the nostalgia. Oh, I and did. And we were going to see in the theater Dirty Dancing. So yes. like, it is it is of the theme. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. Like really. And and I I it was the fun part of that attitude that like Drew and Natalie have. Because I think there's a downside to it too. But like what you captured was just like the fun part of I don't know. Yeah, I guess in some ways you do feel like you know a person based on, you know, pop culture and and ways in and stuff like that. And I, I loved it so much. Um, and Caleb, it's funny, your, your to me is like so different because it was like all like um, Broadway musical songs <laughs> and such. And I loved them too. And it was more like not stuff I already knew and loved Although I didn't know every song on Ruth's CD, so it was introducing me to some things as well. But like with Caleb was almost entirely just like stuff I hadn't known, but you just thought I would enjoy. I can't even, it was forever ago. I don't remember doing that at all. I loved it. So that's like just a fun little side note about all this. But I had such a reaction to Natalie saying that music was like the one thing that (laughs) let you know compatibility because I thought, oh my gosh, Yes, I bought into that at that age, and I absolutely do not now. And I think that's such a really accurate thing that they put in that episode. And I now actually think in many ways it's a very troubling view, you know? Like, because you, you are not your likes and dislikes. I mean, there's there's fun mm-hmm. stuff about it. You know, you could start a podcast and talk about something that you like. Um, <laughs> it can be a touchstone, but... Yeah, this idea of like worrying that your interests are cool enough or like you said, top 40 music is a great deal of fun. You know, I I had an ex-boyfriend once who like, I remember (laughs) we like walked into a record store and they were playing Shakira and this was 2002. And (laughs) so she was, you know, anyway, and um, he was like, so this is what the kids are listening to these days. And I was like, this is Shakira. Everyone knows who that is. I was very annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I liked romantic comedies and he sort of dismissively called those Melissa movies, you know, and stuff like, yeah, I know. And, and. I think it was really important to me, like when I met Mark, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, Mark likes professional wrestling. Do you hate that? Or like, oh, she's really into poetry. Do you think that's stupid? And we are like fiercely protective of each other's interests. You know, I like, like none of that bullshit, you know, like you like what you like. And sometimes you sort of introduce people to cool aspects of what you like, but you should not dismiss people because of their interests. You know, we are how we treat people. We are, you know, we are just a million things before we are 
what TV shows we're into or what music we like. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to find, I mean, I still find the idea of someone's taste in music indicating something super significant. Yeah. Almost offensive. And, <laughs> and I used to be really uptight about it. And it's, it's to some degrees I still am, which is strange for someone for whom music plays such a big part in my life. Yeah. But it stemmed for me from feeling like most of the music that I like would be considered uncool by people who think the music they like is super cool. Yeah. And I, I just felt like, you know what? I don't have time to handle your opinions about this. Let's just, I I don't want to tell you what I listen to. I do think compatibility is nice when you can find it. I, I honestly dread the thought of falling in love with someone who makes me listen to like EDM in a car on a road trip. <laughs> like, oh, please, please don't let that be something I have to find joy in or even tolerate. You know, <laughs> you bring up a good point. There's, there's definitely some truth to that. Like, you know, Caleb and I obviously both, uh, you know, enjoy parenthood, but also like we're both obsessed with Scream, and as is our friend Megan, you know, and so like we'll have like marathons and watch that, and it's really a blast. It's so fun. And like Ruth, sometimes you and I will be talking and we'll get very excited when we talk about certain like, you know, singers from the 90s that, oh, you, you were also <laughs> into that band. Oh my God, me too. And it's like a touchstone. Yeah. Like, or Mark and I. I really do love that we have so many of the same pop culture like memories and you know it's really fun to go on long you know conversations about all of that stuff. I just think this idea that it like defines who you are, you know, like it's never been a problem for me that I listen to very different music than Caleb listens to. It's not like up oh, that's it we're not soulmates, you know, <laughs> we can't be friends. It's over. You know, I have learned a lot about musicals because of him. And, you know, it's like some, I love it when you'll just like say, oh, this reminds me of a song and it's almost never a song I've heard of. And I always feel like I've learned and something. And vice versa. Yeah. It's really when, fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I didn't know that Garth Brooks unanswered prayer <laughs> song. <laughs> That's what I bring to the table. Not so that much. I'm judging you. No, no. For knowing that song. Well, they mentioned the, the song that Drew and Natalie were listening to was A Case of You, which is on the album Blue. And when Drew goes to talk to his uncles about this whole situation, they keep referring to the ninth track. And at first, I thought they were talking about the ninth track on Blue, which was strange because the ninth track is, in fact, A Case of You. Oh. They were listening to the ninth track. I'm like, oh, is that significant? Like, that's the sexy song they were already listening to. But it's not a particularly sexy song. You know? <laughs> but then when I watched it again, I realized well, the album that Adam is playing for Drew is Court and Spark. And the ninth track on that album is Raised on Robbery, which is about a prostitute. Oh. And it's all about her picking up a man who's alone in a hotel. And I thought, okay, that tracks a lot more. So that's Bone Zone every time. That's Bone Zone. (laughs) But then also Adam mentions that the next song makes him cry. When he says that, the song that they are listening to is Help Me, which is on also on Court and Spark. The track following Help Me is Free Man in Paris. And the lyrics of that song feel incredibly relatable to a character like Adam. Oh, wow. There's a lot of people asking for my time. I was a free man in Paris. I felt unfettered and alive. 
There was nobody calling me up for favors and no one's future to decide. Yeah, that really, I can see why that would resonate. I don't have a life, I have a schedule, you know? Yeah, I was yeah. like, that song would make Adam cry. Oh, man. Well, I thought that was certainly the most likable thing he said in that scene, that they had to skip that, so- that song because it made him cry. And then everything else he said was horrible. Listen, Drew, this music is powerful stuff. And I guarantee you it is going to take you to the next level with this girl. All right? Yeah. Oh, my God, I can't do it, man. I can't do it, Adam. I quit. This Oliver Rome guy. He's defeated me with the pork pie hat and the Jethro Tull look. I can't do it. Hang in there. What is going on in here? Why are you guys well, yeah, listening to it's... John Joni Mitchell? Because she's a genius, first of all, okay? Uh-huh. And our nephew came in here for a little advice, not just on music, but on the female of the species, and he came to me. Not you, so I'd appreciate it. Really? You, just... you want to hear you? girl I like who likes Joni Mitchell, so I'm trying to listen to it. But I know this is stupid. Okay. She's not going to believe that I'm into this, obviously. Drew, I mean... Drew, listen to me, okay? You're at a critical juncture with this young lady. Okay? Right now, she sees you as a friend. Okay? Ooh. You got a very small window to break through yeah. the friend zone and into the fun zone. You know, the land pipe zone. Okay. Let's yeah. let's call it what it is. I've got this. You actually are making a good this. point, shockingly. Listen to me. With track nine, I swear to you, anything is possible. All right. Anything. I'm holding my breath. Look, I dated a girl for a year and pretended I was vegan, so I'm in no position to judge. But I do have one piece of advice. I know if she doesn't like me for me, then what's the point? No, that would be terrible advice. What I'm saying is you have got to commit to this lie. This All right, you can't lie. just listen to a couple of tracks off this album and think you're going to pull it off. You've got to work for it. You've got to read the liner notes. you got to know what that yep. song wanders yep. down the street. Hey. Oh, Joni. Track nine, Bone Zone, every time. Well, Adam also said it doesn't have to be a lie. That's that, that's true. That was, that was a good thing to say. Like, maybe you'll just listen to Joni Mitchell and then you'll really like it as I think he does. Okay. I will I will just real quick throw it out there that while I was listening, like while I was watching this episode, my husband was not even watching it with me. He was in the other room and he heard this and he just yelled, gross! <laughs> <laughs> and it made me really happy. I'm like, that's that's what a man should think when hearing that. I don't know. Um, but There's you, nothing yeah. about Joni Mitchell that makes me think that it's like music that you would use to seduce someone. <laughs> but I will admit, like, my Joni Mitchell knowledge is like, um, I think I discovered the album Blue in college. Mm-hmm. So that that's really relatable. But it's like, to me, Joni Mitchell is like really like emotional and sort of like soft, like melancholy in a way. Yeah. I know she has like build the parking lot song whatever oh yeah she has some like happy tunes yeah Yeah. there's some happy tunes but it's like a more it's a deeper experience than what you would play to kind of like set the mood so the fact that they kept talking about track nine as the bone zone song (laughs) i was like i don't really think does not that you couldn't couldn't bone zone with Joni Mitchell it just doesn't <laughs> seem like the kind of thing you'd turn on. Yeah. Perhaps you know, that's not be... Marvin Gaye or Barry White. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I did find it. I did think, and I don't know if you two have, have any disclosures you can make along these lines, but when Crosby said like, I pretend to be vegan for a year. And the fact that Drew is like pretending to love Joni Mitchell, I was like, Oh, have I ever done this? And I remembered, mm. Oh, so many times. <laughs> Like that I've either not pretended, but that I've gotten interested in something mm. because the guy I liked was interested or the dating. And the, the probably mm. the worst example is that 
I tried to read uh, Anne Rand's The Fountainhead uh, because the guy that I liked in high school was really into it. And I was horrified. Yeah. And we were no, we were not together at that point. I was like on a search to understand him more deeply. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, this is terrible. This is so terrible. But I genuinely began the process thinking, maybe if I like this, I will be able to reconnect. Yeah. You know? And sometimes those those little inquiries have ended up being things that I've actually like really, really liked. I remember my college boyfriend was really into the Pixies. Mm. And I was like, I was so resistant at first. I'm like, I'm not gonna play the Pixies. It's his music. And then one summer I started hearing these Pixies songs on the radio, the college radio station. I was like, I really like they're these, really good. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then I really I bought like several <laughs> Pixies albums, yeah. you know. So it was the opposite. It was like, I can't like this thing that he really likes. I was pulling an amber, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'd be curious if anything pops to mind for you. Like, have you ever, what is the thing that you have tried to be interested in or you have become interested in because of a person you liked? Well, my first thought was slightly different. It was actually what Drew was doing. It was pretending to be into something. It was when I was in eighth grade. And what I asked for for Christmas was ridiculous. I asked for a um, Dallas Cowboys sweatshirt because the guy I had a crush on, that was his favorite team. He was always wearing Dallas Cowboys stuff. I didn't even do a good job of it because I got the sweatshirt and I like wore it to school. I didn't like bother to look up a single thing about the Dallas Cowboys. Luckily, he didn't know I existed and never like asked me anything. It didn't work. We didn't connect over it. But had he, I would not have been prepared with all the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> trivia. So that was the first thing that that I thought of for that. Um, <laughs> I was in eighth grade. Like, I don't know. But I can't think of it. I feel like I've always been drawn to people who I already had a lot in, in common with. with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what drew us together. I'm sure there's something. That's a great question though. I love that. It's just funny. It's like, why the fountainhead? <laughs> I've never oh, read that. So, I have to oh, say, it's so. so odious. Yeah. It's so bad. And it's like, if you do know what I'm talking about and you're listening to this right now, you will know <laughs> that that was not a guy that I, I should have pursued and been involved with. And thankfully I was not at the time. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's like the foundation for a lot of libertarian sort of mm, politics. But. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Now, I'll rock the boat a little bit and say I didn't necessarily find anything super gross in that scene. Okay. I feel like the friend zone is just a maybe crass term for something that we do all know exists, which is like, I I think the healthy way of Mm -hmm. what they were saying to him was if you want her to see you in a light that is not strictly friendship but in a romantic light, you need to be clear about that. Although I guess that is not what they were saying. What they were saying is do this and then she will see you rather than what he ends up doing, which is just saying what he means. Yeah. I like you. Yeah. So, okay. I, I'm wrong a little bit, but <laughs> the, the thrust of what they were trying to do, I didn't think was all that gross. And even, even putting things so crassly, I, I thought the, grossest thing anyone said was Crosby saying the lane pipe zone. Yeah. <laughs> like, ugh. Although, if you mean like, yeah, Drew would like to sleep with her. Well, that's just true. I mean, it's a very blunt way to put it. But even that, I thought, okay, 
It's just the vocabulary, mm-hmm. not so much the attitude. Because like what you said just now, totally fine. Okay, for me... But yeah, that's not what they said. No. I think <laughs> I wouldn't really even be picking up on it so much, except that is the direct opposite of how Adam talks to Hattie and Amber about relationships. Yeah. And I think that is what I found gross about it. I think it's what Mark found gross, like just watching enough of the the show that if he was always just like, what can I do to help the family members in my life get some, you know, (laughs) women, men, I just want everyone to be sexually free and happy. Um, Then perhaps I'd be like, this is a cute scene. But when you juxtapose it with like him firing the guy that Amber slept with, you know, even though that made Amber really uncomfortable because he's, you know, he's like, that's, that's my, that's my niece. And then like what he's doing here is like, how can we get this girl into bed with you, Drew? Like, you know, it's like, if it's the man he's talking to, if it's the boy, then he's like willing to help them do whatever it takes to sleep with someone. And if it's the girl, then it's like, what can I do to protect you? Um, and, and any man trying to sleep with you, any boy who comes along, I'm going to tell them to wear a condom or I'm going to fire them, you know? And yeah, that's very good point. That's what grossed me out. It just was so the opposite. And, and really it didn't bother me that much what Crosby was saying because we have not seen that double standard. I mean, I didn't love it, but I, I wasn't like grossed out in the same way that I was with Adam. And I think it's because I don't think Crosby has that double standard. So well observed. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Ruth, did you have any thoughts on like, did you think it was like, you know, the funny or like, or any thoughts on the, I mean, I knew it was supposed to be funny, but I I did think it was a little, it probably wouldn't, it would not work well in this day and age. Yeah. That's interesting too. Like the way they were talking, it's a little dated weirdly, even though it's only like, I don't know, however many years. It's like nine. But I also agree with you, Caleb, they were talking about something that's real Mm -hmm. between people. I mean, relationships fluctuate in their configurations, but there is something, because I was thinking about this, like between men and women, there's this weird tension where if women, some women, I'll just speak for myself, let me be more (laughs) on safer ground here, not generalized, but like in my own experience, sometimes there's a guy and I'm pretty sure that he might want more from me, but I really would just like to be friends. Having that conversation is awkward, so I avoid it. But I also think there's a part of me that just wants to continue to have his like attention and regard, you know, and, and it's nice to, to have someone seeking you out, you know, even though there's also this like weird, I don't know, it feels a little uncomfortable. When are we going to have this conversation? Mm-hmm. And if we have this conversation, will we lose like this, this, this connection will it then be, you know? And so even though Adam was being kind of crass, he's kind of right. It's like, you better make your intentions known Mm -hmm. because if you wait around for a long time, it's potentially going to wreck the dynamic further and you'll have increased this like connection you have with her. And then you might feel even more upset that it's not going to go the way you're going to go. Whereas if you were just up front at the beginning and she's like, no, I'm not interested in you in that way. Maybe you can then pick up a relationship or a friendship. I mean, you know, shortly thereafter, because you haven't invested all this like mental, emotional energy in it. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. 
I felt conflicted because I was like, it's not totally off base, but the way it's being discussed is totally silly and, and sort of hyperbolic in a way. Like, do people actually talk about laying pipe? <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm sure they zone. hope not. <laughs> they probably say know. something along those lines, I mean, I'm sure. I guess I should say, do people talk about it in a way that's like seriously meant to encourage the laying of pipe. I don't know. It just it was it was silly. So yeah, I that's that's kind of how I, I felt about it. But that's like, a good point. True. And I think it's pretty big of you to admit that you like that attention sometimes. Cause I feel like sometimes there's this like, no, you can't cop to that because then you are like inviting unwanted attention. But I think both things can be true, and I think it's just human who doesn't like to be liked yeah yeah and it always depends on who the person is yeah I can say having been on the other side of that all the time (laughs) that's a horrible feeling I mean I've told people I like them lots of times and every time the reaction has been some type of oh I hope I didn't lead you on or (laughs) it's like great yeah no let me make you feel better about your part in this and what did you make of the conclusion of the, this storyline? As much as there was one, I think the conclusion I expected after Drew comes clean was Natalie to say, oh, well, I like you too. She did not say that. No. But she also didn't say. But she didn't? Yeah. I wonder if she's not sure. I thought it was an interesting choice for her to say, well, now I know. And if that's her final word on it for the rest of their lives, I don't think that's fair because I think you got to let them know one way or the other. But I think it's fair for her not to be sure, you know? I mean, something that really struck me is their first scene together when she said, okay, it's official. You are my best college friend. I thought simultaneously, of course, that would be disappointing to Drew since he has feelings for her. But then I also thought, That is no small thing. When you are both brand new at a place like that, those bonds that you form can be very significant, you know? And sometimes a relationship can come from friendship and sometimes those are the best ones. That's not to say that you should assume if someone says that they just want to be friends with you that you pursue them relentlessly. No, you should accept that. But like, she hasn't actually said anything ruling it out I think that she's maybe just not as sure as Drew is, you know? She likes his company. She probably thinks he's cute because he is, you know? (laughs) Um, He did just kind of tell her that he was lying to her to impress her, and she might have to sort through those feelings of, like, am I flattered by that, or do I think that's a little dishonest and I don't like it, you know? And and so I thought it was sort of an interesting choice to, like, have her not definitively say one way or the other. I do want to add that... Yes, she said, you're officially my best college friend. But right before that, she said, if you know this song, we're soulmates. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you don't like him, Natalie, don't how say that. dare you? <laughs> you can't say that. That's a good point. That's just flirting. You do have to be careful, I think. Yeah. Because it's, it's so fun. I remember when, yeah. I was in, when I was in college, I, I started college in 2004. I mean, so this is Bush's re-election. And... I feel like the country's attitudes towards gay people were just rapidly improving all over. And now I was in New York City in a musical theater program. I remember (laughs) 
a lot of straight guys in the program were so comfortable around gay men that they were flirting with them, Uh flirting with me. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm glad that we're getting along, but this is maybe (laughs) too much because now here I am thinking, are you into me? Do you like me? And no, they, they weren't. They were just friendly and, they thought nothing of it. I'm like, maybe you need to think something of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were probably enjoying that feeling of maybe attention and regard and like exchange of energy, even though they didn't want to have sex with you. They, they didn't want to be in a relationship with you. They liked the buzz of the attention. And it's like, You're I think that's so right. <laughs> that's where Natalie, which that's why she said that soulmates thing, I think. And it's like, and I totally get that. Like, it's like both having it and not having it at the yeah, same time. Like, it's we're, not I'm both fair. But... It's not fair. It's mixed messages. And yet it's totally relatable because it's possible that she wasn't sure. The straight guys, maybe they are sure, but they're just enjoying the the frisson or whatever. <laughs> the energy yeah. and the friction of like attraction or desire that's in the room that they're perceiving, which is interesting because it's, it's a little, it's making some interesting assumptions about gay men. Anyway, yeah. I don't know what I could speak on that, but I feel like with Natalie, it's like she wants to, she's in that position of exploring it both ways. I yeah. both just want to be your friend and I might want to date you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to like push in each direction. Yeah. So I wasn't surprised when she was just like, now I know. Although I also felt really bad for Drew because I found his speech so endearing yeah I, I would have been yeah. won over by that I I would have I would have felt like oh he he tried to pretend to be interested in something and <laughs> rather than seeing it as a lie I would have been like oh that's so sweet he was just really likes me yeah. and I probably would have responded to that but I could understand why she wasn't sure I do think to state the obvious his coming clean with her was so the right move yes and yeah. he comes off so much better than if he was like a Joni Mitchell aficionado. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I will say for as like kind of as I found Adam and even to an extent Crosby, I thought Drew was really quite perfect. You know, I, I think that even when he told Natalie that he liked her, he was so quick to say, and it's okay if you don't like me back, I won't be weird about it. I thought, man, Drew is a good one. You know, I, I mean, Sure, maybe it's a misstep to even go the route of pretending to like Joni Mitchell, but it's a fairly harmless thing, especially when he doesn't keep it going for any time at all and that he can't lie to her for very long at all, even about something little like that. It's all pretty sweet. I I think he's a pretty good one. You know, I've been really impressed with his character. And I thought of an answer to the earlier question. Yeah. I, to this day, wear a cologne that a guy liked. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) That's a great answer. I, real quick, will want to say that um, I don't know Joni Mitchell all that well. I mean, she's so famous that, of course, I'm not like, who is that? (laughs) The way that everyone Natalie knows is. Never heard of her. (laughs) But I only love one Joni Mitchell song as well. And I sort of psychotically love it. It's River. And it's a little embarrassing. The reason I know it is because of an episode of The Wonder Years. <laughs> it was um, played prominently. And I mean, I remember 
loving it as a child, like watching that show originally and being like, what is this beautiful haunting song? And then to this day, I can't really hear it without thinking of like, my my childhood and like Kevin's pent up desire for Winnie Cooper and all my pent up desires for every boy I ever loved and it was unrequited and you know I just uh, boy it's just beautiful so I could see that like loving you know the way Natalie's like oh it's just that song I heard it saw it in a movie or heard it in a movie I'm like yeah that checks out I did I did also want to say I, as much as we made fun of her. For- in the first scene for saying people think I'm weird for liking this and no one's ever heard of this song. That's all made better when she says, Oh, I only know this one song. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, doesn't even really know what she's talking yeah, about. Yeah. Nor is she really claiming to. Right. Okay. If you go back so and listen to what she you're says, forgiven. she's yeah. not like, I love Joni Mitchell. She's just like, this song is my go-to when I need a good cry. And yeah. Yeah. Well, let's veer over <laughs> to Adam and Christina. You know, we got a Grandma Blanche shout out earlier. We're reaching into the past, into our trunk of characters. And we also find there Mr. Ray. Oh, yeah. But he's actually in this episode. <laughs> I Oh, Mr. Ray. I really chuckled at Adam and this distinction he draws. He loved you. He didn't love me, honey. He was amused by me. There's a big difference. <laughs> That's funny. I think he's spot on, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... A what did you think of Mr. Ray? Because, I mean, Adam was better dressed for this visit. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought, I, the only note I really took was Mr. Ray seems cartoonish mm-hmm. and possibly very um, offensive. Yes. But he also seems like a very sweet guy. I mean, his <sighs> the way he interacts with Adam is so generous, even before he gives him $20,000. Yeah. But... <laughs> Some of it's cringy. Oh yes, yeah. It's caric. It's caricature. Yeah. yeah, and yet it's like, well, are there people like that in the world? Do they exist? Well, yeah. I mean, we've kind of all seen them, but it's like, I don't know. It. What about it? Feels so awful. <laughs> and not the actor. No, I, we're not. I think he does a not criticizing good job the actor's with it. performance. Yeah. One example is. When he said that he couldn't vote for Christina because he had a prison situation, I was like, oh, of course, because (laughs) so many characters of color on this show, it's like, oh, I dropped out of high school or, you know, Alex has a record, uh, we find out. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, you know, it's it's just (laughs) I'm like. Please stop buying into that, that, you know, that, oh, he's a rapper. So he's been to prison and can't vote. I'm like, that's that right there. The way he talks, the, the... he's, Oh, I, okay. Yeah. Something that really got me off guard when he sees Adam at the, you remember what he says to him? He says, what up my ninja? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, no. that's like <laughs> Sydney's teacher giving birth. Right. I mean, that is clearly, a stand-in for the N-word, right? Yeah. And while, you know, of course, if black people want to use the actual N-word, feel free. But, like, 
if you're going to put it in a show, capture how they would actually use it, which is not at Adam Braverman, <laughs> you know, like I, I uh. it seemed tone deaf to include in the scene, like, well, he's a rapper, so he's got to say something like that. Yeah. I don't think he does. He could just say, what up? Yeah. That's fine. He could say hi. That's a, a greeting that Adam <laughs> would never use. Well, that's true. And would true. make him uncomfortable. And if you can't say that, not that I advocated that they say the word. This is a minefield. I was going to say, but if you can't say the word, don't say ninja instead. Uh, it just seems cringy. Definitely. You know, I think part of it is that the narrative arc of Mr. Ray's character in this episode is that his, quote, humanity is revealed. And that's what's sort of actually baseline offensive, I think. Uh, because he goes from, even though I understand like why it's it would be considered slightly funny, it's like you make all these assumptions about this rapper, right? But he's just this hardcore guy. And then it turns out like he's actually, he's got a kid and he really cares about the schools and he doesn't want the speed bump and all this stuff. But and he's it's a like, smart businessman and gives right. Adam this great idea. Yeah. But that's premised on us all thinking that he's, he's one dimensional in the beginning. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I think that's the problem. Really offensive maybe. part. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, because he's, he's one dimensional, all they have are just a bunch of tropes. Yes. Like, it's not authentic at all. It feels like just a bunch of, like, stereotypes of what a rapper would be like. Yes. As opposed to what rappers might actually be like. Like, I don't know. It just felt gimmicky, but in a way that was offensive. Yeah. Even though I was glad that at the end, it's like, it's proved that, yeah, he's actually a guy who has, like, a life. Mm -hmm. He's not just some weird caricature of a rapper who's, like, you know, there to be a bit of a gimmick, you know, it has his entourage and his like ritzy house and his like bling and all this stuff. It's like, no, he actually has, he's got concerns about the world, which most humans do. Yeah. Even if they're rappers, you know, (laughs) even if they have prison records, even if they're, you know, they've never like voted, they probably still have concerns about their world. If you ask them, I also was just hung up. I'd be curious to know what you all thought. I was like, is this even a good idea that you go ask Mr. Ray? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't have. No, I thought, I don't know if it's even ethical to like go to a previous client of a business to hit them up for a donation. Yeah. I mean, it's not against the law. Like there's nothing illegal about it, but I'm like, why would that be successful? Mm -hmm. Unless you develop rapport, which I guess they had because of the whole baby situation. Mm -hmm. Maybe they did, they developed some connection there. And so it was more plausible, but I didn't fault Adam for being distracted once he got there and not really making the ask. Yeah, no. I actually thought that's where the storyline would end. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, Mr. Ray's gone. And so I was surprised when he went back. Yeah. Even though I understood where it was working in the episode, I, I just was like, I don't know if it's cool to ask Mr. Ray. Yeah. Well, something I thought about is that, you know, Melissa, as you said, he mentions that he's done time. Mm-hmm. And I thought in politics, oh, I feel like yeah. so often it's, you have to be concerned not just about what something is or how you feel about it, but how it's going to look to other people. And I thought, I understand given the way we are presented things in this episode that Christina feels gross about taking money from the developer, but okay about taking it from Mr. Ray. But I thought, what could you make a better negative ad about if you were trying to attack wow. Christina Braverman? Hey, she took 20K from this ex-con. Wow. I didn't even think that. That would be a great attack ad. And, oh, she took 20K from this real estate developer. 
well, that just doesn't have the same kind of teeth to it. I also think that that, what you just said, reveals this, I don't know, it it makes me feel a little strange that like, okay, we're going to have a storyline where Christina runs for office, but it's going to be this like fairyland version where she is just squeaky clean in the ways that actually matter, you know, like, because of course we're meant to be like, oh good, she takes it from Mr. Ray. And I think we're meant to be like, it's great that she can see past all these things about him, which is really condescending and gross. I I don't know. I don't, I don't love that, but she couldn't take it from the developer. But I'm also like when she couldn't take the money from the developer, I just kept thinking, shouldn't you take the money from the developer? You're running for mayor and he just gave you $20,000 and I, I guess, yes, and, and I don't mean to knock integrity or anything like that, but I'm also like, I don't... Headline, <laughs> Melissa comes out as anti-integrity. <laughs> Let's just set the record straight. But I just kept thinking, I don't know, are, are you cut out to be a politician if, you know, this turns your stomach? And maybe that's the wrong way to look at it. Maybe I should be like, Melissa, this is how it should be. People should, you know, be led with their their ethics. But but I don't know. The whole thing felt real flat. Like it was probably my least favorite Christina as mayor, you know, story yet. And I also didn't like that Adam said he was terrified of Mr. Ray. Like I know he probably meant because he's so rich and famous, and I'm terrified of asking him for money. If he had said I'm terrified of asking him for money. I yes, but he just said I'm terrified, and I'm like, that sounds terrible. Like I don't know, just he's a very nice person. I don't know, you know, if if he makes you nervous because he's, you know, so famous and rich. I get that, but that's not. I don't think what we're what we're getting there. I feel like the whole premise was set up so that Adam could prove, like it was because that's been like the tension in the previous episodes that like Adam is not fully on board with her mayoral campaign and so him going and doing something that like on the surface like I was asking the question like is it even okay to ask Mr. Ray (laughs) like that just seems like a bad idea just from a business perspective like oh if you go to the luncheonette guess what we'll ask you for money uh, for my (laughs) wife's campaign even though it does make sense he's like a very he's a wealthy man right and they do have this rapport I guess. he apparently had twenty thousand dollars in his wallet <laughs> right yeah but it's like having adam go and fail but then go back mm-hmm. as a gesture to help christina with this ethical conundrum of like accepting the money from the developer mm-hmm. seemed like a kind of conclusion I don't know if it will be a conclusion because I haven't watched the rest of the season five but Mm -hmm. it felt like a mini conclusion or like a resting point for that tension arc of like is he really supportive of this it's like yes he's supportive although I suppose he said previously like here's my credit card take it which is sort of a funny (laughs) but you're so right though I hadn't (laughs) even connected it to that yeah. And like one of the last shots is him putting the sign yeah, up in front of Mr. That is nice. like, we are clearly meant to be like, look at Adam. He's really He's stepping up. Stepping up. <laughs> I did wonder why when he went back, or even when he went there the first time, why not take Christina with him? Good this point. is my wife, Mr. Ray. She's running for mayor. Like I get one of the times I think they were it was like their task for the day. You go ask these people. I'm going to go ask Mr. Ray. So she was busy. But maybe that's why I was thinking, well, when you go back, say like, 
I don't know. It just seems like a nice gesture if you want to sell this person on she really cares. Here she is. She came. She's never even met you. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I agree. As far as Christina taking the check or not, well, let's listen to what she says to Adam. I don't know. I just feel, like, gross. Everyone's going to know that all of my fundraising came from a developer. You know what I mean? It's like... Look, as long as you do the right thing with the money, nobody's going to care where it came from. But I do. I care. I just want to feel good about where I'm getting the money for my campaign. And this check, it just doesn't make me feel good, you know? You know what? Then don't take it. But if I don't take it, then the campaign is over. So it's a tough call. It's twenty grand. What would you do? No. What would you do? Don't put this on me, Christina. I'm not putting it on you. I'm just asking you. What would you do? I think that in the world of politics, this is business as usual. Cash the check. It's a tough call. Six p.m. I know. I feel like I'm just. I feel like I'm going crazy. You are correct, sir. Um, Let's go to Burger and Pie. Let's get out of here. I saw on TV that they brought back a torpedo burger. Burger and Pie. I could use a break. I'm kind of like you, Melissa, or at least how you described yourself. Maybe this is very naive, but I've always wondered what would be so hard about taking money from people and then just not doing what they want you to do. Yeah. I always felt like, well, joke's on them. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, real estate developer, give me all the money you want. I'm not building your building. Well, I don't know. But I suppose probably what you really want, if you want politics to be your career, mm-hmm. You want people who will repeatedly give you money. Mm. And in that case, they probably need to be getting something in return or at the very least feel like you are not in opposition to their goals. Yeah. Like, I want to develop this space. And Christina Braverman is against development. (laughs) Yeah. So why am I going to keep giving her $20,000 checks? But do it once. Is Christina trying to build a lifelong career in office. I didn't haven't gotten that feeling. I think she thought I I should run for mayor. I care about education. Great, be mayor and then I don't know. I don't I don't get the feeling like then she's going to go to state senate and then US senate and then she's running for president. That doesn't seem like her path. <laughs> I also wonder what's she going to do? Rip up the check and then he'll just be like how come that check never got cashed? <laughs> or is she going to like write him a letter explaining I don't believe in your project and I won't support it. Here's your money back. And then he just doesn't vote for her and tells lots of other people not to as well. I don't know. Like I just, maybe that's a silly train of thought, but I just also was thinking he already gave it to you. I don't know. Like I just, I wondered. And you know, then I'm like, okay, who would I not take money from? Like, you know, I think it'd feel different if you were like, truly bad in some way like if you were like in the kkk i would not take his money but it's like he's a developer i don't i don't know i did you think it made sense that she didn't want to take the money because it made her feel bad ruth and like we're just morally compromised people caleb and i no i think it makes sense on an ethical level yeah she was being ethical because she doesn't want to do what he wants to do and i I do wonder with like such a small campaign like hers and I have no idea because I'm not in politics and I don't know anyone really closely who is, Mm -hmm. but I know that I feel very strongly swayed by a sense of indebtedness. Mm -hmm. And I wonder it was such a small campaign if you would be setting yourself up for that sense and that it would just be complicated Mm. to feel like you owed this guy an explanation if you took the money, even if you weren't going to do it. 
And then I wonder too, like if you don't do what he wanted you to do and he kind of gave the money premised on this idea that you would be like supportive of his projects, would he then like go on the war path and say this, this mayor sucks and don't reelect her and she's terrible and she's made my life bad and blah, blah, blah. You've really made me think of some things that I didn't think about. Yeah, that's a good point. Sometimes politicians are criticized for like cozying up to business interests, you know, to get money for their campaigns and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I think the question is like how much influence, how much sway. And I feel like it would be really hard to say zero. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's somewhere between a hundred and zero. Yeah. (laughs) How much sway someone who is like giving you money will have over you. But in the national campaign, those amounts, like I would imagine 20,000 would actually end up being like not the (laughs) biggest amount. I don't, know. I don't know. I was laughing at your cat. Yeah. This is perfect. She like she really usually ignores me when I'm on Zoom, like all my online teaching, but I think because I was I was gone over spring break, mm. she's like more attentive to me. Oh. She's trying to influence me by being like, please don't leave again. And just want to run in front of the screen. She also is a little you. bit intrigued by the headphones cord. Oh but, yeah. Yeah, that checks out. Nonetheless, we can also say, in addition to the conundrum of Amber and Sarah, she's deeply interested in campaign finance reform. Yeah. You will be voting for any candidate in the upcoming election cycle that supports campaign finance reform. You got Mina's vote. (laughs) Pause up. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I wish we had I wish we had a politician in the room to kind of give us like the scoop, the skinny, but they would probably feel like they were putting their career at risk because yeah. to admit that they were influenced by like big donors. Yeah. You know, it's like it would seem unethical, even though it would also seem like deeply natural. If somebody mm-hmm. gives you help, you're gonna feel indebted to them. Yeah. Whether you should or not. Yeah. And what Heather said to Christina ahead of time felt like what I would assume a politician might say, which is, I take the meeting, I'm just non-committal. I don't say I'm opposed to it, but I also don't say I'm for it. But then when they were actually in the meeting, like I feel like Heather literally said the words, we want you to succeed yeah. with your goals. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's not what you told Christine. Yeah. I felt like she I did too. and switched her a little bit. Yeah. I also was just fascinated in the Adam Christina conversation. They're different kinds of thinking, which to me felt like very typically feminine and masculine. Mm-hmm. Like Christina was saying, I want to feel good about taking it. Yeah. And Adam was saying, well, you need the money. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. And then when she was trying to get an answer out of him, all he would say was, yeah, tough call. but i don't think it was yeah this is really believable yeah yeah and they're both right Mm -hmm. like of course you would want to feel good about taking it but maybe you can't feel good about taking it maybe that's the price you pay and it is a tough call yeah i don't think it's totally accurate to say no one will care where it came from if you do something good with it Mm -hmm. some people will yeah that's true we have learned that for sure yeah I also, we got a little morsel of information in this episode that I don't think we had before. In that meeting with Harry Lerner, Heather says that Christina went to Cal. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And Julia said in season one to Hattie that Adam went to Cal. Maybe that's where they met. It feels like that dot is connecting itself. Yeah. Like, oh, they met in college. And that's why this girl that we now know is from Ohio found her way to Berkeley. She went to school there. 
And then she met Adam Braverman and the rest is history. And then she never saw her family again. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's a beautiful love story. (laughs) We did get this adorable wrap up to this storyline. Yes. Dad told me that you passed up on a big campaign donation and you're really upset. So I shouldn't bug you about dinner. Swim out far. Well, that's true. I don't understand why you would pass up on money, but he said that it's really cool that you did. That was very nice of him to say. Did he explain to you why I passed up on the money? He said you didn't want to be in bed with Harry Lerner. And then I said that I wouldn't want Harry Lerner in my bed either. And then he said that was supposed to be a metaphor and then told me to go play video games. Yeah, you know, politics can be pretty complicated sometimes. I know, I was president. That's true, you were president. Very good president at that. Are you going to drop out of the race? I don't want to drop out of the race, but, you know, with, without money, it's kind of hard to run for mayor. So I, I don't know. You'd probably make a good mayor, though. Better than Bob Little. Thanks, buddy. That means a lot. I'm going to support your campaign, I think, until I can conduct more research. And then I'm going to decide between the two of you once I have more information on the other candidate. Well, I so appreciate you giving me the benefit of the doubt. I do. What's this? Where did you get this? Hank told me that I could have $20 if I could shut up for one full hour. And then I did. I don't think you should drop out of the race. That might be my favorite Max scene ever. Seriously. I loved it. It was just very cute. Yeah, it was cute. And it felt like him, you know, like it didn't feel like they changed his character to give him a cute scene. You know, it felt like what he would say to his mom. I don't think the show plays this card enough. Like Max being unexpectedly, but clumsily sweet. Yeah. Because when I think back on watching Parenthood the first time, Max is probably my least favorite character. And I feel bad saying it, but my most vivid memories of him are of him screaming and throwing tantrums and not even always when I felt like it could be chalked up to autism. I'm like, I think he's just entitled sometimes and, and uncompromising. And it's been a lot better this watch. And I wonder if it's because I'm constantly contextualizing things and just older and understand more about autism, I hope. But to have a moment like this, it makes him so likable. It makes mm-hmm. me understand why everyone on the show doesn't hate him. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, because he's actually really sweet. Yeah. And it's not always obvious. Yeah. But those are the moments. I mean, it's like Zeke. Zeke will have behavior that is so outlandish and awful. In the moment, it feels unforgivable. And then it feels very strategic and we're going to get there soon. (laughs) You'll have these moments that are so sweet and you go, well, this is why I can't hate you because God, you are a lovable son of a gun. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but I think it's probably for the best that they don't overplay this card with Max. Better to err on the side of not dipping into that well over and over. I mix my metaphor, but. I like that. But yeah, it was hilarious and it was touching. Agreed. Speaking of hilarious, Savannah Page Ray's delivery here. You're just going to leave us here? That's our punishment. (laughs) That is (laughs) really good. And her expression, she turns over her shoulder. That's our punishment. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, for a show all about parenthood, 
I feel like there is a pronounced lack of siblings bickering. I liked that <laughs> Sydney and Victor were just arguing in this episode, and we never found out about what. And I think that's fine because usually it's not about anything. Yeah, <laughs> they're I agree. just at each other. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like that is a big part of parenting. If you have more than one kid, refereeing the inane fights. <laughs> <laughs> that scene with Zeke making Victor read from the manual. Oh my god! At first, warmed my heart. And then broke it and Sydney took it away. And it it felt so believable. I don't think she was being mean. Or trying to be anyway. Right. And she was clearly tired and like, can we get out of here? Yeah. (sighs) But also, does she know Torque? How does she know Torque? Like, she didn't even. She's a genius. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. We have established that. Yeah, good point. Yeah. I thought it was such a sweet and clever way to encourage Victor to read. Yeah. Especially after he was clearly engaged Mm -hmm. in the work that Zeke was having him do. Yeah. It was kind of perfect. I was like, what a brilliant strategy. I love it. Yeah. Because he feels so embarrassed and Sydney is not helping because she's sometimes gloating about her own skill and then other times just kind of frustrated about his lack of skill. And so pairing his reading with something he's good at, I was like, oh yeah, that'll make it easier for him to engage in the difficulty and the process of reading Mm -hmm. because it'll be paired with this thing that he likes, that he feels confident with. And so he can tolerate the lack of confidence or the difficulty around his reading. I was struck by the fact that no one intervened when Sydney was like, I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> I thought Julia or Zeke was going to be like, no, no, no. Let Victor finish. Let him do it. But they just stood there. And I was like, That oh. didn't even occur to me. No, me You're neither. so right. I also think, honestly, I could see myself not intervening only because I'd be, it would happen so fast and I would just be like frozen. Like, oh God, no. Like, like a train wreck. Like you see it happening and you just... Don't stop it. I, I don't always have the greatest reflexes, you know, like I, I can think of some like uncomfortable situations like in the classroom that I wish I would have said something. But it and also sometimes it's like, oh, how will this play out? But I, I don't know that that wasn't going to go anyplace good. So, yeah, someone someone should have stopped it. Although now I'm thinking, is there anything to not wanting Sydney to feel like she must diminish herself? Oh, I didn't think of that either. I mean, this is one instance and it's her brother. Yeah. I don't think she would get that message from one time. But the fact, I mean, Sydney knows Torque. That's amazing. And she should be proud of how well she reads. Yeah. But she did not read the situation very well. (laughs) Right. right. She could read the words. She couldn't read the room. (laughs) I think in my mind, I immediately jumped to the theme of season four that you all talked about several times where she's just like downright mean and nasty to him. And it's kind of understandable because as a kid, like it, it it would be disruptive, even though it's like a positive thing to have an adopted brother. It's like, it would be disruptive to just like add a person to your family suddenly Yeah, with like, you're not even choosing that person. It's your parents making the call. And yeah, I think when I saw that, I connected it back to some of the times when she was like, well, you don't have a mom or I can't remember exactly what she said, but she was really mean. Your and mom like this, must not love you. Yes. Yeah, yes. Jesus. And that in some ways one. it's like the power of a little kid to speak the just the weird, like underbelly that no adult would ever ever even suggest yeah. you know even though that probably has entered people's minds like why is his mother because she has like some kind of problem she's in jail or 
whatever. But yeah, yeah I, I think I'm thinking back to that. And so I'm probably judging Sydney a little harshly <laughs> more than she deserves terrible <laughs> for, for kind of being like, I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm perfect. I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here was a scene that was not particularly emotionally charged, but had a really big impact on me. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I don't want to, you know, pry. Or uh, stick my nose in where it doesn't belong, sweetheart. His reading's really bad. Boy. I know. I'm working with him at night, you know, but the book reports are torture. It's... Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, what do the teachers say? They say that it's bad. Actually, they, they wanted to hold him back a year, oh. make him do fourth grade again. That's tough. I know, and they said it was our choice. We said no, but now he's falling behind day by day. I can see it. Joel says I'm overreacting, but I can see it, you know? I'm, I don't mean to drag you into this. I just feel kind of alone with it. Well, hey, listen, I got your back, okay? Whatever I can do. Thank you. I think one reason this scene had an impact on me is because I said last episode that Julia should be allowed to confide her feelings about this conflict to someone else in her life. And yet her interaction with Ed, where Mm -hmm. she did just that, felt really wrong. It felt like a breach of something confidential between her and Joel. This felt like a much healthier way to do that. Because Zeke is a family member. But she did divulge that she didn't agree with Joel to someone else. But it didn't feel like she was bad-mouthing Joel. No. It just felt like this is what we've been presented with. Here's what I think. Here's what he thinks. I feel like if Joel could have seen this conversation, it wouldn't have upset him. Certainly not as much as the one with Ed did. Yeah. And Zeke, to his credit, I thought handled it really well. He didn't really express any opinion other than wanting the best for his grandson and pledging support to his daughter. Like That's well done. But then on my second watch, I had a slightly different thought. Julia felt way less defensive with Zeke than with Joel. Mm. And I thought, is this just because time has passed and it's not as fresh? Or is she in some way able to confide in her father in a way that she doesn't feel comfortable confiding with her husband? And that was a little disturbing to me. Yeah. What did you think? I think it might just be different like the confiding would be different because he's outside the 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 nexus of the problem Mm -hmm. he's sort of adjacent to it and so it feels maybe easier because his opinion is not something yeah like if he said some crazy thing she could probably dismiss it more easily than if joel said something she's kind of it's her husband and they're raising this child together and she'd have to listen. That's true. He's trying to say, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'll support you. Like, if yeah. you, whatever you need to decide with this holding back situation, I'll support you. Which I don't think Joel could say that, right? Because Joel's disagrees. involved in the situation. Yeah. yeah, Joel is taking a position. And also, he should take a position. Because he's yeah. involved. He's Victor's dad. Yeah. And I feel like Zeke has the luxury of being, like, Julia's dad. Where he can just say, I'll support you. Yeah. Whatever you decide. Yeah, Zeke doesn't really have a vote in the Victor situation, which relieves him of some responsibility. I do think, though, it's a really interesting point. I think it would be troubling if she never felt that she could confide in Joel 
But I think this is actually a fairly new phenomenon for her because I think she usually could, Mm. but not with this. And even before this, not with having doubts about adopting Victor. And that is, I think, a little troubling. And I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world, but I do think it's something to address because, you know, if is it, it's different from like Amber not being able to ask Ryan about his family, but you really don't want to be in a relationship where there are these minefields to tiptoe around and there are these like things you just can't say to each other. And I think that they have sort of made whether or not to hold Victor back pretty contentious and I don't know that it had to be that way, even if they disagree. And I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't think it's like one person's fault, but I do think together they made it this insurmountable thing, you know, like you versus me. And I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think that's very healthy. So yeah, that, that does make me concerned, but I will say Zeke was like peak Zeke in this episode. I mean, like my goodness, one, you're right, Caleb, earlier when you were talking about that, like he can be so awful. And then you're like, this is why, though, I love you. And this whole episode, <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, he didn't hit a sour note the whole time. Even even when he says to Victor, you're better at this than your sister. And Victor's like, is that because she's a girl? And he's like, no, 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 not that. <laughs> Sarah was great at this stuff. I was like, well played (laughs) yeah really well done so i loved him in this ruth i'm just spinning out from what you said about zeke's role in all of this that's probably why julia has that comfort i mean i'm I'm, i think i'm just restating what you already said but it's making sense in a way it didn't and it's relating to Last week, I was wondering if Julia sometimes feels in competition with Joel, Mm. like they're Mm -hmm. both fighting for control. Mm -hmm. And I think probably like 90% of the time, Julia has control. And I think Joel is fine with her having control, but it can't be 100% of the time. And she really doesn't like it, I think, when she is not calling the shots. Mm Mm-hmm. And to her, it probably feels like him not listening to her. Mm -hmm. But I'm not always sure that's what it is. And I was so struck, her interaction with Zeke, that's what was missing, was that sense of competition. It felt like she was confiding in him in such a defenseless way. Yeah. But it's probably because she knows dad can't take charge of this. He can't wrest control away from me. I'm the parent. Yeah. So he's not a threat. And I don't know, that's not a great trait of hers. No, <laughs> it's not. And and I think it's so rare that Joel has a really strong opinion. I think often he's like, oh, it's not worth it to fight, you know, or like her opinion is a good one. We'll just go with it. You know, I think he often feels that way, but he just happens to disagree with her kind of passionately this time. And I don't know which one of them is quote unquote right, although I I don't love the idea of holding someone back. And I, I also think this would have been a silly conversation to have mid-year. I feel like they would have been talking about this at the end of last year, not now. You know, they would have been like, what do we do for next year? They wouldn't have started a kid. Anyway, sorry, I'm like spinning out. (laughs) But my original point was that I think it's less about who's right. It's more about Joel actually having an opinion and Julia not being able to handle that, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's troubling. 
and and I think maybe even in a small way, looking down on him, like she just thinks, well, I'm smarter. Like, just listen to me, you know, like that's not good either. And I think there might be a little bit of that based on things we've seen before. I, I feel that too. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're reading in something that's not there. I remember yeah. season one when she wanted to like have her ex Tim, you know, like uh, step in with the her parents' financial situation and Joel had a different idea. And I don't even think Joel's idea was right, but she just shut it down immediately. Like, oh, who are you wasting my time with? You know, it was just, sometimes she just sort of treats them like that, I think. Yeah, it's interesting to see her kind of struggling to be like a stay-at-home parent, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's such a huge shift from her previous life as this high-powered lawyer, where that kind of confidence is probably like what she needs to be successful. Good point. But yeah, I, I think I really liked that. I, I I don't recall exactly which episode this was, but I think Joel initially was like, "Let's just wait, Mm -hmm. wait and see." So in some ways, her desire to be like holding back is kind of like this fear reaction. Like, it's just going to get worse. It's not going to get resolved. We need to just do it now. I don't want him to fail further, which is kind of an act of love, except that Joel is right. Like, it's too soon to call it, you know, and holding a student back. I almost feel like this is all a dated conversation, too, maybe just a little bit. So I feel like nowadays, at least from what I've read holding a kid back is like the last resort because it's so disruptive to like their social development yeah, and their psychological sense of themselves that it can usually, it can backfire. Like academically it might make sense, but on these other levels it doesn't. So I was like, Oh, I wonder if they would still be having this conversation in 2022. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, I don't know, but I agree with you. I think she, that this fear causes her to want to control yeah. and Zeke can give her that, I'll support you, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. comes, which actually also suggests to me that he's at heart a pretty good parent or mm-hmm. he's become a pretty good parent of his adult children. Like, he's just like, well, I'll be there for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to help you, but in a, in a low-key, non-invasive <laughs> way. It's a real and, act of love the way he works with Victor. Like that, I mean, that's the best thing he could do. What a help, like, that's amazing. Thought my punishment was over. Well, geez, I thought you liked working on the car. Well, I don't care whether you like it or not. I got Victor. I mean, heck, you know, I can't do this on my own, you know? How come Sydney doesn't have to help? Well, you know, Sydney, to be honest with you, is pretty useless around anything mechanical. Because she's a girl? No, no, no. Not because she's a girl. Your Aunt Sarah was an ace mechanic. I mean, your sister, I mean, Sydney, I mean, gee, many Christmas, you've seen her work. She was pretty bad. I mean, yeah. my parts were way cleaner than hers, and I figured out how to put the water pump in back inside the car. Yeah, so, I mean, what do you say? Will you help me out here? Okay. Great. Now, here's the deal, see, now it's uh, gonna be hard work. I mean, we're gonna get stuck. Sometimes we won't even know what we're doing. And uh, well, that means we're going to have to read the manual to help us out. I'm not good at reading. Well, here we go. See, my eyes are old, and uh, the print is really small. I can't do this on my own. It's, uh, it's up to you, kid. I read really slow. Well, where the heck do you think I'm going? 
I got nothing else to do. My gosh, we got to get those gaskets in. So, you know what? Just start right there. What's that say? Remove front adjusters. Oh, my gosh. That means we got to take the engine out and the transmission. It's a week's work. Ah. Uh. Makes me want to cry. It's like a stroke of genius to put Victor in an environment where he will be forced to read, but the stakes are so low. Yeah. Like, Zeke's not going to judge him. Right. That's obvious. Yeah. There won't be other kids like Sydney yeah. around get, get her doing it better than him. Yeah. He won't have the threat of a grade hanging over him. And it's in service of something else that he does seem to have a natural aptitude for. Warms my heart. And I love, <laughs> maybe it was like overkill, but his little wink to Julia. <laughs> oh, just straight to my heart. Oh, I loved it too. Well, and you can't you, hate him. <laughs> they talk about <laughs> high. Damn it. Yeah, you can't hate him. It's true. But they, they, I mean, it's like, what's the phrase? It's like high interest, low. I can't think of the word that goes with it. It's like what you're supposed to teach kids who struggle with reading. But it's it's how you kind of hook them. It's something that they're really high interest, low level. Yes, yeah. Now, of course, this isn't low level because it has you know, it's an adult <laughs> manual. But you know, it's it's this idea that he is naturally interested in this material, not because it's an engaging story, but because they're doing something with it, and so that's cool. And I actually loved that Zeke said that Sydney wasn't good at this. And I think that might not even be true, <laughs> but but I think it was important for Victor to feel good at something that his sister wasn't. That's a good point. Yeah, because he just doesn't measure up when it comes to reading and he knows it and it's so embarrassing. So this is like a nice offset of that, I thought. Yeah, it makes me think of how, you know, those that data or those studies that talk about like girls, mm. young girls are really good at math until a certain age when it's like becomes clear to them that math is like not a girl subject. Yeah. But then all and then so they switch to being like I'm bad at math and it becomes part of what how they see themselves. Yeah. And I think something that Zeke is doing is making it so that that connection of I'm bad at reading and I'll always be bad at reading and I can't read. So I better avoid it because mm-hmm. I'm bad at it. He's like loosening that connection. And yeah. I feel like Victor's had that connection made in other worlds, like at school or with Sydney. And if that goes on for too long, then he won't want yeah. to do it, which will just make it worse. And he might be held back. But if he could feel like this is a safe zone and what, however you perform will be fine. Yeah. There's not really a good or a bad. I just need you to do this. Yeah. It'll instill confidence in him. And, and I, I, Probably don't have to tell two English teachers, (laughs) but I've heard that reading kind of out of every skill and every subject is maybe the most critical because it's such a gateway to every other subject you can learn about. If you're not good at reading, learning itself becomes something you dread doing because reading is so difficult and unenjoyable. So you can't read your math textbook. You can't read your history textbook or your geography or anything else. And so, yeah, if you can unlock that for a child, then the very concept of learning new things becomes way less daunting. I think Mark and I have talked about this, and I, I think it actually is important, like, you know, since he's an elementary teacher, 
that kids do read aloud, but usually if they're like struggling, it's like with a sped teacher and it's private, it's one-on-one. And so it's kind of like what Victor's doing right now with Zeke, like that's crucial, but him reading out loud, like in front of a class of people, that would be humiliating. And that's, that's not teaching him to read. That is just embarrassing. Yeah. Well, especially after looking up where this title came from Mm -hmm. of this episode, I was definitely observing themes through that lens. And so like something like Adam wanting to start his own label Mm -hmm. felt like a dream. And then he crunched a ton of numbers like, well, that's responsibility. responsibility. Oh, good. And Christina raising funds in ambition to be mayor. Being mayor is your dream. Having to beg people for money is the responsibility. Yeah, that's good. Amber confronting some of the red flags in pursuit of marrying Ryan. Which is her dream. like that. Yeah. And Victor being confronted with needing to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I guess Drew learning about Joni Mitchell was also kind of his responsibility in pursuit of his dream. <laughs> like a responsibility to come clean and be himself. Maybe there's that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was it Crosby's responsibility to figure out that everything that bugs him about Oliver Rome is just like him? That's a quick note I have when he was like, that that pork pie hat. I'm like, um, I'm sorry, Kettle. Um, you have <laughs> the exact same hat in your closet, and I know it. And he's worse than Crosby for sure. But I did think it was really funny because I'm like, um, oh, yeah, you've never thrown a fit. We've never witnessed that. We've never witnessed you be a little bit full of yourself. <laughs> I just think this is like some sort of fun karma for Crosby that they're now going to be linked because of starting the label. (laughs) I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was lovely. I'm worried about Amber and I I feel bad for her. Yeah, me too. It feels like a simmering pot that's Mm -hmm. about to boil over and like this, the series is kind of ratcheting it up. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh no, this wedding is not going to go off without something happening. If it happens at all, I don't yeah. honestly know because I haven't seen yeah. the season, but I'm like, ooh, yeah, they're making you feel very uncertain and kind of nervous for them. Even if you don't fully agree with Sarah's concerns, you're just feeling like unsettled. Yeah. Yeah. It sure doesn't feel like it's all leading to her just having a great wedding and they live happily ever after. No, no. That's not the end of this path, is it? Yeah. And maybe it's because every time they talk about their wedding, it is in the language of dream. It's Mm. like, and and the past is gone and we're, and you're the best thing and we're going to have this beautiful wedding and we're getting married. Don't just don't think about anything other than that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but they have responsibility. Yes. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they need to talk in the language of responsibility. <laughs> At least as much as the language of dream. Yes. <laughs> I think you need both. You for do. happiness, you probably. Both. Because if you're too fixated on responsibility, you might end up like Julia, right? Where you're just like very fixated on the goal and the success, and you're not confident or tolerant of the process, which yeah. is going to seem risky. Yeah. But I feel like you need both. That's an interesting lesson. Yeah. (laughs) The language of dream, the language of responsibility. Well, how funny that Amber made a speech to Ryan at the end of last season saying she needs him to be responsible Mm -hmm. with her love. Yeah. And how that comes into play in this conflict. Like 
is it responsible to not tell her some of the basic facts of your life? Like, my father's dead. Yeah. And is it responsible of Amber to not draw those things out of him? Like... To just let she him... Might, she might think she's helping him by not touching a sore subject. And I think there are situations where that might be respectful. I mean, I'm not married. Melissa, you are. Do you <laughs> subscribe to the idea of, you know, there can be no secrets in a marriage? That, like, there can't just be something that really troubles Mark and you just don't even go anywhere near it. That's a good question. I mean, I think that... To some degree, it would make sense for a person to have their own thoughts and mind still, you know, like I think that if Mark were working through something and wanted to be alone with it, I think that would probably be okay and and vice versa. I think probably where it's a problem is, you know, if it's something that could hurt the other person, like, you know, if, if Julia really is like getting, you know, attached to Ed and, and, you know, like you shouldn't have those kinds of secrets, right. That like, Mm. you know, or with Ryan, you might argue, well, his dad being dead has nothing to do with Amber, but that's so big. You know, I, I, I think that you, you should be able to share these basic things with each other, but I like how you asked that question because I, I do sometimes cringe at the idea like, okay, this is, <laughs> I earlier said I judge excessive PDA in front of people. Um, I also sort of judge it when people like have like a shared Facebook account, for example, <laughs> like it's, you know, <laughs> a married couple's Facebook account that they have together. Apologies if you have that out there. I don't think I've ever seen one of those. Oh. And I'm glad. It almost <laughs> certainly means that one of them has cheated on the other and now they don't trust oh. each other just to have a Facebook account. Oh my God. I shouldn't say that. That's I'm I'm sure that there are other reasons to do it, but that's my <laughs> assumption. Maybe that's terrible. But like, you know, I think that you should be able to have your own thoughts and like interactions with people. Like, I don't think you need to tell each other like everything, but you shouldn't use what I just said for evil and purposefully keep big things things that are important for the other person to know. Does that make sense? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. yeah, I feel like it's really important to still have a sense of self. And so I think if Mark were really struggling with something, I, w- I would hope to be able to help him. And I would hope he would tell me, and I think he almost always does, but I think sometimes it's a mistake for us to think that we're like alone, the, the answer or like, you know, the way that Ryan talks to Amber, like you're my answer to every question or something, you know, I think sometimes it's more useful to talk to a friend or to journal or to go for a bike ride in Mark's case or, you know, whatever it is. I think sometimes you have to process whatever it is your own way. And like when Christina needed to talk to Gwen. Yes. To understand what do I really think about running for mayor? Yes. And I know what Adam thinks. Yes. And I respect, and in a way it's almost like Christina respected Adam's opinion so much Mm -hmm. that she couldn't even decipher what her own was. Yes. And I think. That's why you need friends. Yeah. (laughs) That's why you need your own way of processing things because. I, I think balance is so important. Yeah, you can't you can't be so immersed in the other person that you don't have anything but that other person. But at the same time, you can't keep huge 
portions of your life from the person you're making your life with. So that's, yeah. That's when you find a toolbox in the garage and you discover your spouse is a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh no. Look yeah. All these driver's licenses. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Would it be nice to think that as long as you know a person for however long you're together, that you'll always discover things about them. Not maybe yeah. things like, not serial like, killer things. But, right. Or like right. my dad is dead. You didn't know for 19 years. Now I'm letting you know. But I think, you know, mystery or like that sense of privacy is so important. Yes. To having a self and thinking for yourself, like your example, Caleb, that you just gave with Christina. I think where the, the issue lies is when, um, and we've seen it in this episode with Julia and Joel and then also Ryan and Amber, where you're not sure that you can confidently enter a conversation about a conflict without it becoming super explosive or you're yeah. fearful of it. Yeah, that's not good. That's a sign of trouble. And that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to break up or something, but like I do, I'm, I'm realizing as we're talking through this, I'm like, oh, that's the red flag. It's not that there's tension. It's that you don't feel safe that the other person can handle talking about it. Not that yeah. you're even going to come to an agreement. Yeah. But that it's so sensitive. And maybe that's a temporary place. Like maybe Julie and Joel, I don't know what's going to happen to them in the next few episodes, but maybe they become more comfortable and they can actually talk it through because mm-hmm. they have a pretty solid relationship. But I don't think Amber and Ryan have even begun to create that stability yeah. upon which instability can live, if <laughs> yes. you will, you yeah. know? Well put. And, yeah. And I think some of that instability is about two people being themselves and having their own desires, right? Ryan mm-hmm. doesn't want to disclose his past because he doesn't think he should dwell in the past because it's painful. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't want to go there. Amber has a different relationship with the past. She's kind of like, I don't know, maybe it is relevant. My mom says it's relevant. And, you know, I've already dealt with the past with my dad returning and all this stuff. And these are two people having different ideas and experiences. And they don't necessarily need to agree a hundred percent, but they have to be able to talk with one another to have a feeling of intimacy and exchange. And I think that the fact that they can't is maybe the red, the actual true red flag. Yeah. And you saying that all reminds me of Zeke and Camille so far this season. Oh, yeah. right. That Camille was trying to have a conversation with Zeke and Zeke was really not there for her no. and not giving her a sign of, yes, I can engage in this and hear you until she kind of conversationally battering rammed her way through his wall yeah and that's what it took but even after all that time she was having to navigate his minefields yes absolutely and that's tough and if you're the partner that has to do that how could you not resent the other person for that yeah like you know i'm trying to talk to you and the fact that you're making it so difficult is making me even more angry I, I would resent the hell out of Zeke if I, I could never be married to Zeke. Even in episodes like this, uh, where he's a sweetheart, I'm like, nope, I remember. <laughs> never forget. I don't know. Yeah. Like... Well, and it, I did, it, I, that thought actually did occur to me. This project that he's using to connect with Victor is the thing he's using to deflect the conversation with Camille. <laughs> So it's yes. rebuilding this car. So when he says he, to Victor, and so he can say, you know, this is great. Look, I'm connecting with my mm-hmm. grandson. You're avoiding your wife too. Yeah. When he says, where, where am I going? Who cares if it takes us a really long time? Right. <laughs> it's like, well, Camille cares actually. And then he's putting Camille in the position of having to be 
against Victor learning how to read. Which of course is not her position. But yeah, totally. No, I didn't mean to reopen the conversation. No, that was good things we said. Sometimes that's yeah. the most interesting part of the conversation is when you think you're wrapping it up and then it's like, <laughs> look at all this though. So yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, Ruth, truly, if we are in the wrapping up part, I got to say, I mean, you are both on the podcast, but also off, like one of my very favorite people to talk to. Oh, thank you. And I think you have just wonderful insights. And um, and it's so fun, too, because, uh, you know, obviously, Caleb is also one of my favorite people to talk to, hence starting a podcast where we talk <laughs> for, I don't know how many hours we've logged doing this, but um, it's... You talk to other people? <laughs> Never. I was the only one. <laughs> You're the only one I talk to. Um, but I think that's... It's really lovely, like, when worlds, like, collide, but in a good way, you know? Like, uh, I know you both from, like, such different areas of my life, and the three of us can have these really wonderful conversations. Um, so, anyway, it makes me really happy. Thanks again for inviting me on. I love talking about TV. This is, like, my <laughs> bliss. Truly. Truly. I, I long for, like, conversation about television so it's like actually really fun to watch this show even though I didn't watch the whole thing when it originally aired it's just cool to kind of go and dive deep you know that's another thing that we have like in common you know like we're both poets and you know sometimes people who are like in academia or like who are teachers will just be like oh pop culture ugh. or like I don't own a television and you and I were both like we love tv Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, we we do not need to have I I feel that someone I knew in the past who was in, an intellectual and an academic might have put a scarf over their TV and uh, disguise it. Well, I need that? no scarf. My TV is loud and proud in my living room. <laughs> yes. It's not a giant TV. I haven't gone that far, but it is a TV. It has a place of prominence. I'm okay with it. It's what all the furniture's <laughs> pointed towards. That's you know? right. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so well, Ruth, I always ask guests if they have, you know, anything to plug, and I know that you do. I mean, like, <laughs> Ooh, so. I'm so excited. I don't know what it is. Oh, I just mean yeah. her writing. Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyone who's interested or curious about my creative or scholarly writing can check out my professional website, ruthcwilliams.com. Excellent. Yes. All the information you need there and more, more than you even thought you needed. <laughs> it's it's not more than you need, though. It's exactly what you need. No, I mean, I just, I love your writing and um, you. you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Caleb, do you have anything to plug? You've, you've, <laughs> I don't know. We don't. I'll say you can find our information there it is. on our website, parenthoodpals.com. We're also on social media, everyone. You know that. <laughs> Parenthood pals everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We did that in the opposite order we usually do. It was we did. It was crazy. It felt right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks as always for listening. Until next time, may God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.